Hello, friends. Welcome to the Premature Bible Institute. I'm Doug Scheibel, your free-range podcaster, uh, welcoming you once again to my Premature Bible Institute, as I like to call it. Um, throughout Scripture, there are, are particular passages that people remember, and the one we're going to talk about today probably has the most quoted verse in all of the Bible, and probably the most recognizable one. So we're going to get to that just a little bit. It's an important part of this this whole redemptive plan and something that uh, the Lord Jesus wants to talk to somebody about. And I think it'll be really, really neat to talk about it uh, today. Um, can you imagine what it must have been like for, you know, having waited 4,000 years, you know a Redeemer's coming, a Deliverer, if you're one of those people that did, and uh, all of a sudden this Deliverer comes upon the scene. I imagine it would be a lot like if we had been waiting another 2,000 years and 6,000 years down the road, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes claiming that they're Jesus Christ. And so we don't know what to think about that. Uh, we wonder. I wonder whether we would listen to him, follow him or not. What will we look for as far, uh, far as the uh, proof that he was who he said he was? Well, that's what we're going to deal a little bit with on today. Uh, and uh, all I can imagine is if I was... If a person like that came upon the scene, I mean, not now knowing what I know, but if I had been there at that time, I would have wanted to sit down and talk with them and find out what I could and learn and and just investigate to see, is this person who he says he is? And so on. Well, uh, today's uh, lesson is a written record of one of those conversations that he had with someone, and we're going to deal with that. But before we do, let's uh, do just a teeny bit of a review from uh, uh, last week. Uh, we see where John the Baptist, his ministry and his work was decreasing, and it actually decreased to the point where it stopped because Herod, who had put him in prison, uh, eventually uh, cut his head off, and and that ended that. But that wasn't a big deal for John. Remember what John, uh, his quote was, talking about Jesus Christ, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. So John was never jealous of his position as one of the prophets, and uh, uh, actually he's referred to the greatest of all prophets. Um, he wasn't jealous of that. His purpose was to prepare the way for the one who was coming. And now the one who is coming has come, and so he his time for all of that is to get out of the way and, and uh, let this deliverer do what he needs to do. So... Uh, uh, John's work and his ministry ministry decreased, but Jesus' work and ministry increased. And uh, Jesus began to teach, and he began to uh, choose his disciples, uh, who it was he was going to uh, invest in so that they could carry on the work after he was done. Uh, they weren't going to do his work. They were going to carry on the work that the, 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 uh, Jesus Christ was supposed to do. So when Jesus went out and he started his ministry, one of the things he did is he taught. And uh, the scriptures tell us that he taught with authority. So the people, when they heard him speak, they thought, wow, now this guy really, really knows. I mean, he's worth listening to. He has what he has to say uh, really strikes home to us. Makes me think of that time when he was 12 years old and uh, he was in the temple. And remember, his parents had gone out three days and couldn't, didn't, couldn't find him. So they went back to Jerusalem to look for him and they found him in the temple uh, speaking with the leaders, and they were amazed at his wisdom and stature and stuff for a kid only 12 years old. So anyway, they took him back home. Remember what it says? Mary didn't understand these things, but it says she kept them in her heart. She pondered those things. She considered what he had done. She didn't know why 
he had done what he had done per se, but she knew it must be important because he was from God. And so she kept those in her heart. Well, now we kind of see the same thing. Now he's teaching again, and once again, kind of the same reaction. People are saying, wow, he's really, really quite uh, the thing. And we also notice he, he taught with authority, but he also showed us something else. He had power. He had authority over his creation. And so we saw that when people came to him were sick, he healed them of their sicknesses. Why? Because sickness was a result of Adam's sin. And so Jesus had authority over that because he is the authority over everything that has been created. So he was able to take the sickness away. Not hard for someone who's all-powerful, is it? And the demons that were there that were in, were, uh, in people, they would go and uh, uh, possess people, and he would cast them out, and they would say, listen, we know who you are, and he had authority over them. Why? He created them. Not as demons, he created them as spirits, good spirits, but they chose to rebel against their creator. And even Satan, when Satan tried to tempt him and, and um, uh, there in the wilderness, he had authority even over him. But he allowed himself to be tempted so that he could feel the same things that you and I do, the temptations, the struggles uh, that are there, yet he did it without sin. He always followed his Father's will. It wasn't easy. He was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. All of those things like anybody else would be, but he had self-control over all of those things. And so uh, he had control. He was able to tell Satan to leave him. Why? Who created uh, Lucifer to begin with? Uh, God did. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, uh, but you need to remember something about the Lord Jesus that I think is really, really important to understand. Everything he did, he did because he wanted to, not because he was compelled to do it. In other words, he didn't feel like, it wasn't like, oh, I've got to do this or I won't please my father. No, it wasn't like that. He did what he did because he wanted to please his father. Not because he there was some benefit he was going to gain from it or lose if he didn't do it. He did what he did because he wanted to. And that is the essence of grace, doing what you want to do uh, or doing the right thing because you want to do it and not doing the wrong thing because you don't want to do that. So Jesus did what he did. Like I said, not under compulsion or anything like that, but because he wanted to do it. So now to the story. There were times when Jesus took time out to visit with someone and answer questions. And this is the case of one particular man. And we're going to read John chapter 3, and we're going to deal with that chapter today. Uh, we won't read every verse, but the main verses we're going to talk about. And I want you to, to think about some of the things that he was doing here. So let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so what he's saying here, well, he's saying several things. First of all, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, he was one of the ru uh, Jewish rulers of the people there. And so he had great authority, great knowledge and wisdom and so on. He was a smart, smart man, very well respected uh, by the people. And he said that Jesus accurately represented uh, God. So he was telling him, he says, you know, you we know that you accurately represent God. And he called Jesus a rabbi. He said, rabbi. And what he was doing was showing respect to him. So he showed respect to the Lord Jesus, even though the Lord Jesus wasn't a Pharisee. 
He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't a scribe. Uh, he wasn't of anybody of any religious or political authority. He was just who he was. But he calls him rabbi. And that's really amazing because it's almost right at the beginning of his ministry, he shows that kind of respect. Now, it could be that maybe he understood more than we realize about who he might be. And maybe he's going to he's starting to check up on this. So he said that Jesus accurately represented God. He said he saw the miracles that Jesus did as evidence that he was from God. So when the Lord Jesus was doing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the blind to see, feeding the hungry, casting out demons, all these were signs to the Jews that he was the one that he claimed to be because no one else could do those things. And that's what uh, uh, he is saying here. He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, that is an interesting statement, and I didn't really even think about it until this lesson, but I won't, I won't bring it up now, but I will if I get to that lesson and there's something that comes up, I want to remind you of this particular thing a little bit later on, but we'll come back to that. He said that Jesus cannot do these things unless God was working through him. So he recognized that Jesus was someone special, someone different, and he said, we know God's working through you. So there's no dispute in this matter. And so we just, we, he, he's complimenting them on that and talking to him about that. And so, but Jesus, in response to that, caught him off guard and said something that he wasn't expecting. And what Jesus was doing was really caring about Nicodemus, not about what Nicodemus knew, but what Nicodemus understood. All right. So in verse three, it says this, John answered, I'm sorry, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, and the old King James says, verily, verily, I say unto you. So most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, back in the 70s and probably long before that, uh, probably in the early part of the 20th century and up, probably up until the, well, actually probably most of the 20th century, we used to hear this term being born again a lot. You know what? It's kind of amazing, but you don't hear it so much anymore like you used to. Uh, we talk about, you know, following, uh, 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 working for the kingdom and all this stuff. But Jesus sat there and he says, listen, you need to be born again. He said, unless, a, a man, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he's making a pretty interesting statement, which has nothing to do with what Nicodemus asked him. And so he's wondering what's going on. So Jesus was very, uh, very emphatic on this when he says, most assuredly, I say to you. In other words, I am telling you something that you really need to listen to. You need to perk up your ears and listen, because I'm telling you something very, very important. Unless uh, one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he was emphatic about this. Jesus said that unless a person is born again, that person will not see the kingdom of God. To declare uh, that people have to be born again assumes that people have already have been born one time. Because to be born again assumes there's a first birth. All right? And uh, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. If the second birth does not take place, then separation from God for eternity is the only option available to that person. That's what Jesus was saying. Unless a man is born again, or if a person is not born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no way. They're separated. 
We know that from way back in the beginning. We've all been separated from God. So God is telling Nicodemus something here. We are not lost because we chose to be lost. We are lost because we're born lost. That's the whole point. We have been infected with sin. Remember, I think I told you once before that that thing like if a poisonous snake bites you and you're out somewhere where you can't be found, I said, what's going to happen to you? And when I talk about a poisonous snake, I'm going to say a lot of poisonous snakes, and they all bite you. I said, you're going to die. And the only way you can deal with that or keep from dying is to get the antivenom. But if you don't get to the antivenom, I said, you're going to die. It doesn't make any difference whether you know there's an antivenom or not. It's just the fact that the antivenom's in you that the death is sure to come about. And in the same way, sin is like that poisonous snake. It's infected us, and the only thing that's going to bring about is death. So the only thing we can do is um, uh, get the antivenom, if you want to put it that way. And so what Jesus is telling them here says to be born again. That's the antivenom. And so uh, that's what's going on here. Now, Nicodemus does understand, I think, what Jesus is saying, the statement that he's making, but he asks for clarification because he's not quite sure of why he said that, I think, the way he did. So we see in verses 4 and 5, Nicodemus responds to what Jesus said. He said, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? All right? He's not talking about a baby again, a baby being born again. He's talking about when a person is old. How can they be born again? He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's asking that question. How can a a person my age, I'm 68 years old, how can I be born again? How can I enter my mother's womb and be born a second time? That's what he's trying to get at. It doesn't make sense, Lord. What are you telling me? So Jesus answered and said this, Most assuredly, once again, that emphatic again, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he goes into it a little deeper. First, it's being born again. But what is being born again? First, he says you're born of water and of the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus knew that Jesus was talking about people um, at any point in their lives, not just birth. In other words, he wasn't talking about just babies being born again. He was talking about people uh, of all kinds. You know, that's why he says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is just talking about, you know, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. He, he knew that Jesus was talking about people at any point in their existence. They need to be born again. So if I haven't been born again, I need to be born again. So, so, he, so Nicodemus asked Jesus how a person can be physically born a second time. And Jesus explained the difference between the first and the second birth. A person must be born physically. All right. Now, <clears throat> I'll get to this in just a second. This is what I'm, uh, I'm going to hold you, and then I'll explain why. First, a person must be born physically. In other words, uh, to be born again. I've been born the first time. My mom and, uh, gave birth to me on February 14th, 1951. So that's when I was born. But then he says a person must be born spiritually. And I was born again a second time in November of 1977. And that's when I was born again. So there's a physical birth. There's a spiritual birth. Um, there's an old saying that if you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you die once. 
Does that make sense? Okay. Um, to be born once means that you didn't have the second birth, which Christ says you cannot enter the kingdom of God if you're not born again. But if you're born the second time, then you'll only die one time, and that's a physical death that we all go through. But we'll never enter a second death, which is eternal separation from God. It won't happen. Um, all people, I want you to think about this because you hear this, and I, it's a, it's not a, it's a it's a wrong statement that people say. But I'm going to say, uh, I think um, I think it's correct. Okay, let me what I'm going to say. All people are God's creation, but all people are not God's children. And so when you hear somebody says we're all God's children, that's not true. We're all God's creation, but we're not all his children. And uh, that's why he's talking about being born again. To become a child of God, one has to enter the second birth, to be born into that family. I've been born into a physical family. I need to be born into a spiritual family with a spiritual father, which is God. Um, the word of God is the vehicle which brings about the second birth. Okay, somebody goes and tells a message to somebody. They hear it, they understand it, they comprehend it, uh, and then they believe it, and then they call upon the name of the Lord, as it says in Romans 10. In other words, they recognize that the second birth is needed, and it has to happen, or or there can be um, no um, chance for being in the kingdom of God at all. Uh, so to know God's word, we must hear this message. Somebody has to tell it to us. And to be born again, we must believe the message that we've heard, all right? Jesus then, he, he, he reinforces this argument. He says, that which is in uh, verses 6 and 7, he says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about a couple of different views on this, on the issue of being uh, the two births. Some people believe, and I, I used to believe this way, and I'm not saying it's, uh, it's wrong. I just I have a different view on it than I used to. I have no problem with the other view at all. Uh, if people believe this a little bit differently than I do, that's okay. So uh, some people talk about the two births. The, 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 he talks about you must be born again. The first birth, uh, which is of, uh, that which is born of water, um, and it goes on and talks about that. And they talk about that being the Word of God. So the first birth comes about through the Word of God. The second birth comes by the Spirit of God. I've never looked, I shouldn't say I never looked at it that way. I remember the first time I heard it, I didn't think uh, that that was probably right. But as I've grown older and I've looked at this more, and I'm trying to think of this from Nicodemus's perspective, Christ is telling him something. Now, Christ isn't trying to trick him or confuse him. He's, trying to t he's telling him the truth. And so I think when Nicodemus understands, how can I enter the womb a second time, I think he recognizes that the first birth is a physical birth without any problem. And I think the Lord Jesus does also. I don't think he, they're disputing the first birth. What they're talking about is the second birth. And the second birth is not you entering into your mother's womb, but that you're born into another family spiritually by the, uh, the Spirit of God himself, placing you into that family. So I think that's what the issue is. The first birth is a physical birth. Obviously, if you've never been born physically, you can't be born spiritually because you never existed. So the first birth, uh, everybody has, every human being has a first birth. And then everybody after that is, uh, is either a second birth or they stay in that first birth. They're born physically, but not spiritually. 
but those who are believers are born spiritually also into another family. Um, so anyway, that's uh, how I look at it. Some people think that the they're, they're talking about the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the, the two. And although the Word of God is in effect and is uh, part of that process of us coming to Him, I understand where they're getting at. I just don't think that that's what this passage says. I think it, first we're born physically, then we're born spiritually. And like I said, if someone disagrees with me, I don't hold that against them. And uh, I certainly may not even be right with what I'm saying. But that's just how I look at it. And I'll just leave it at that with you guys, okay? Okay, that which is born of the flesh, that, there's another reason why it says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's why I think he's referring back to this physical birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I think he's talking about the spiritual birth. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So all of us, people are put into categories all the time, all right? There's rich and poor, black or white, intelligent or ignorant, the haves and the have-nots, powerful and weak. We always contrast these two together. Uh, but God only has two categories concerning people. It doesn't make any difference what your race, gender, uh, what your uh, um, age is, um, all these different things, what country you come from. None of that even is all of that is irrelevant. The only two categories have are believers and unbelievers. Now, believers are believers because they have agreed with God that he's telling the truth and they believe him. Unbelievers fall into a different category, and they have actually more than one category. There are those that have never heard. There are those that have heard but did not understand what they heard. And there are those who have heard, understood, and rejected what they heard. Okay? So... Uh, we can't do anything about the last one, but we can do something about the first two. We can take a message to people who haven't heard, and uh, then after that we can explain that to them in a way so that they understand what they're hearing, uh, the implications of that. So that's what we have to be really, really careful about. So <clears throat> God only has those two categories. Those under God's control, uh, the, the, there are those that are under God's control and those under Satan's control. Um there are those who are born again, and then there are those who are just born. And so you guess which categories are the ones that God uh, uh, will allow to be in the kingdom of God, as he talked about there. Now, when Nicodemus heard all this, I can't imagine. He had to be overwhelmed. And he's sitting here listening to this man and saying, I've never talked to anybody like this before. There's nobody that, I mean, all the theological discussions that we've had in our meetings and stuff, and this guy is speaking truth. And he's saying it in such a way that you just walk away with your mouth open and you're just dazed because the brilliance of what he's saying. So uh, Nicodemus was overwhelmed. <laughs> and Nicodemus says this in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? I mean, he's stunned. He's shocked at what he's hearing, I think. And not that he didn't believe, he just, he does, he's, it's just so overwhelming what he's saying. It's so simple that it's just, it's, it's just complex to him. You know, that's something interesting about God's Word. It is so simple that a child can understand it, but it is so complex that it confuses theologians. And I think that sometimes we have to uh, be just, like it says, have the faith of a child, listen to God, and, and he'll give us the wisdom that he needs. Now, Jesus told Nicodemus what must happen for there to be a second birth, okay? And um, um, he says this in verses 14 and 15. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus refers back to this Old Testament example and reminded Nicodemus of the bronze serpent. Remember when Israel was out in the desert and they were complaining at Moses and God sent these fiery serpents or when it says fiery, I guess just, you know, poison serpent. And they started chomping down on all the people and people started dying right and left. And they came to Moses and they said, we've sinned against God, man, tell the Lord, please to take these things away. And so God tells Moses, take a pole, make a bronze serpent and put it on the pole. And if the people just look at the pole, they uh, where the serpent is at, they'll be healed. If they don't, they'll die. Now, he didn't tell them to quit smoking and quit drinking and quit doing all your bad habits or anything. He just said, look at the look at the pole, look at the serpent, and you'll be healed. So he's referring back to this uh, event that Nicodemus would, would absolutely know about. So he says, look, that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. And what it is, is God put it up on a pole so everybody could see it. Well, the, the, the Lord Jesus is saying here that the Son of Man must also be lifted up. Now, it's cryptic in some one way, but in another way, it's kind of metaphoric. And what he's just saying is that uh, people have to look to him. They have to look to the Lord to be saved. They have to look to the Son of Man. And so he, and we'll get to that a little bit later on, the implications of all that. But basically, they need to look to him as their only hope, just like the bronze serpent. All right. He said that the Son of Man must be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. Whoever believed in the Son of Man would not perish, but have everlasting life. And looking on the serpent of pole saved whoever looked at it, didn't it? Okay, looking to the Son of Man will eternally save those who look to him. Uh, just as God kept his promise to the Israelites in the desert, so he will keep his promise to uh, Nicodemus and all those people at that time, but he'll do so today also. Okay? He hasn't changed. God never changes. So God sent his son so that people could be born again. That was the whole point. And now the most famous verse in all of Scripture that we all know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Boy, that is one, one powerful verse. Now think of all the things that it's saying there perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible. Uh, I would say it is. So let me ask you some questions. Who does this say that God loves? Well, God says, God so loved who? The world. The world. What is the evidence of his love that he gave? He didn't, he wasn't compelled. He wasn't asked for, he gave. To whom did he give? Or uh, sorry, who did he give? He gave his only begotten son. All right? So God loved the world. He gave, and he gave his only begotten son. So what does a sinner have to do to be delivered? Believe in him. Whosoever believes in him, what does not have, uh, I'm sorry, what does not happen to someone who believes in him? They do not perish. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. They won't perish. What does happen to someone who believes in him? They'll have everlasting life. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Okay, so what logical reason would anyone have not to want this? 
I mean, I don't understand it, but this is what it is. Remember way back in the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, what did I say sin causes us to do? It causes us to think irrationally. Remember what happened with Adam and Eve? They tried to cover themselves from a God who can see everything. Then they tried to hide from a God who's everywhere. Then they tried to lie to a God who knows everything. Sin causes us to think irrationally. Satan rebelled against God and said, I will be like the Most High. So that's what he's trying to do. Uh, only someone who is allowing sin to influence their lives uh, are going to have uh, uh, are people who don't want this. Sin causes us to think irrationally. That's why people, for you guys that I know that are in uh, college ministries and so on, this is why you have a hard time with a lot of those unsaved people who reject you. But they, not all of them will. Some of them will turn and say, I want that. Because it's never been presented to them. And it's never been presented to them in a way that they understand. So Jesus, he came to live among us, didn't he? Um, let me say this. I used to tell, I've, I've shared this uh, idea with people before. How a person can know for sure whether they are going to heaven or hell. I've asked, I've talked to people about this before. He says, I can guarantee you today uh, that I can tell you of a way to know beyond any shadow of a doubt whether you're going to heaven or hell. And they'll say, how's that? I say, just die. All you have to do is die, and you'll know for all eternity where you're going. But once you die, there is it's irrevocable, irrevocable, I guess is the right way. It cannot be changed once that thing has taken place then. But our goal is to get this message to them before they die, if we can. Uh, if we want to know before then, before that time, before we die, there is a way. In verses 17 and 18, it says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, who's talking here? This isn't some somebody. This is the Lord himself talking. He says, God did not send his son. In other words, he's saying me. He didn't send me into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So these two verses give us valuable insight uh, into the purpose of Jesus coming to live among us. So throughout the Old Testament, man tried to earn his own way to heaven, tried to do all the things he thought that would please God or if they didn't even care. But it wasn't until that Mary conceived the Lord Jesus, God said, enough. Now I'm going to show you how it's really done. And then the Lord Jesus came into this uh, whole thing. God did not send him, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. You have to understand that. God did send his son that through him, the world could be saved. That's the point. He didn't come to condemn us or to send me to hell. He came so that I wouldn't have to go there. That was the whole point. God, uh, if a person believes in him, the son, they are not condemned. If a person does not believe in him, the son, they are condemned already. All right? Why? Why are they condemned already? They did not recognize what God said about his son. That's the issue. Now, Jesus tells us why people do not want to believe in him. There's a reason why people reject him, turn their back on him. All right? Verses 19 and 20 say this, And this is the condemnation, 
that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. See, that's the whole point of sin. Sin not only causes us to to want us to think irrationally, but like uh, Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves, hide something with coats of skin. Then they tried to hide in a garden away from God's presence. Then they tried to hide their thoughts from God by saying, well, the woman caused me to do this and so on. So that's the whole point of the thing is that light uh, exposes what's in a room, what's in that. Jesus is the light of the world, and we hear this later on. And so he, is, he exposes us. This reminds me of when we were teaching God's Word. The very first time we taught God's Word out in the tribe, <coughs> um, I taught the first lesson, which was the Bible is our authority. And after I got done teaching the lesson, I asked the people what they heard. I wanted to make sure that I was uh, communicating clearly. And three men came in and said, we don't want you to hear, we don't want to hear your talk anymore. And I asked them why. And they said, because we know that this message is going to bring division in our village. I said, well, you know, we always told you why we were coming. And they said, yeah, you did. And so you're welcome to come over. Just don't bring this teaching. Well, I says, you know, we told you we would never force this message on you. But if you don't want to hear this, you need to understand something. Uh, If we leave tonight, it's going to be a long time before it comes back. There are other villages that do want to hear it. But we wanted to give you first chance so you could um, so you could uh, hear it because you helped us with language and culture. And we wanted you to have the first opportunity to hear this. So um, uh, I did that with them, and then we uh, talked about it, and they said, well, you're welcome to come over. Just don't bring the teaching. Well, I remember we, Paul, my partner, and I, we folded up our stuff. We were heading down to the boat, uh, and we were on another island, actually. And on the way down there, um, I asked people all the time, I said, how do you think I felt? They said, man, you must have been bummed out. And I, and I told him, I said, I tell you, I really felt I was tickled to death because I knew what was going to happen. And sure enough, within a week, people started coming over and saying, what's in this book that they don't want us to know about? He says, they're afraid. There's something in here that they're afraid of. They said, you are the first white people in the history of our world who have learned our language. And you want to give us God's talk in our language? They said, there's something in here that they're afraid of. Well, see... Yeah, they were. They were afraid of the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Now, everybody's deeds were evil. I mean, that's we're all like that. But that wasn't the point. These guys wanted to hear. And so these other guys kept them from hearing. So they knew that something was different. And we, what we were going to give was a contrast to what they had been telling them all along. Um, people do not want to believe in him because he exposes us for what we really are. Sinners who want to hide our sinful character. Evil people avoid the light because the light exposes their evil nature and embarrasses them. It shames them. People are like children. When we do wrong things, we want to hide from our parents. And just as Adam and Eve did in the garden, trying to hide from their parent, God himself. So, those are some amazing things. In conclusion, you want to hear something interesting? No one that I can remember thinking of in the Old Testament no one asked for a redeemer or a deliverer to come. I don't remember anybody. I mean, there are places where uh, you just know that they're waiting for some day when a deliverer, but nobody uh, that I can remember is just sitting there asking, you know, we want you to come. We really are anxious for you to get here. We're tired of all this and what's going on. 
all through the Old Testament. Can you remember anyone asking for a deliverer to come and to deliver them from their sin? No, you probably can't. But God sent the deliverer. So he sent them. He did it because he wanted to, not because he had to. He wanted to save people. Remember that Ezekiel 33, 11? Um, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, uh, says the Lord. It's but that the wicked turn from their evil way. He wants them to turn to him. He wants us to. The deliverer came of his own free will. And you know what else he did? He gave. He didn't take. He gave his only begotten son, God did, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amazing thought and an amazing privilege that we have as believers. Well, I just want to say thank you guys this week for what you've done. Just tag a friend, ask them to uh, subscribe to my podcast, uh, at just Doug Scheibel, uh, S-C-H-A-I-B-L-E is my last name. And uh, if they want to watch the video podcast, they can look at Doug Scheibel or the Premature Bible Institute. You can do that with either the audio or video. My name, Doug Scheibel, or the Premature Bible Institute. Uh, just look it up on either one. Just want to say thanks, and we'll talk to you next week, all right? Bye-bye.